Hello. What's up, Jesse? Not much. That's good. Just a new episode for all of our amazing listeners. Welcome back to Spooky Soup, everybody. I'm ready to be spooked. So am I. I have the Reddit stories today. I have a local story today. Of course you do. Of course I do. Always. <laughs> so uh, before we get going, I just want to tell you that my wife and I, we started, or we, we caught up on uh, season four of Stranger Things. Oh, what'd you think? Oh, it's the best season yet. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. Vecna, great villain. Mm-hmm. Especially when you find out who he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. He makes more sense to me as an individual than the mind flayer concept ever has. Sure. Yeah. I saw this thing where uh, the creators of Stranger Things had to approach Netflix with the entire story of Stranger Things. So like all seasons. Really? So this has been planned out the entire time. Okay, that's pretty cool. So if you go back and rewatch um, seasons one through three, you'll hear the grandfather clock chime throughout the show. What? So you know in season one, and I believe it's the first episode, where he falls off his bike in the woods because he sees the Demogorgon? Yeah. Or whatever. Was it though? Because it it's a silhouette of a creature and could have been Vecna. But you, right when he falls, you hear the chime. No way. And then when Billy... In season three, is a is uh, sent into the upside down by the mind flare for the first time, and he's like, "What do you want from me?" You mm-hmm. hear the chime. What? I had yeah. no idea. And then it happens. At, cool. I think it happens another time, and I can't remember what it is, but yeah. So this whole thing has been planned out the entire time, and that's why I'm so obsessed with this season. I can't wait for uh, part two to come out in July, which is episodes. Uh, what is it? I just think it's eight and nine. Eight and nine, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I love that they went for a horror twist this season. Not just sci-fi, mm-hmm. but it's actual horror. Yeah, it was very creepy. Like, when that cheerleader, the first uh, teenager to die. Spoiler alert, everyone. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, you got to get, get with the times. What are you doing? But when her body, like, gets all con- broken and... <laughs> breaks yeah. and contorted and and her eyes get blacked out and then they get all hollowed out and or, gross yeah yeah it's awesome so it was cool. so cool it yeah cool. i was geeking out a little yeah. bit so highly recommend you guys uh check it out if you haven't watched Watch stranger it. things at all do it it's really good yeah uh, before i get to my reddit stories just want to let everyone know that uh, we would love to read your stories. So if you have any personal stories or even something that you wrote yourself that is doesn't have to be real, please uh, email it to us. We would love to read it on the podcast. If you caught the last episode, we had our first uh, story read from one of our f- listeners. and It was awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. I really enjoyed talking to them, gathering all the details. Yeah, please send us your stories. We love hearing from you guys. Definitely, definitely. Uh, You can DM those to us on Instagram or you can email them to us, uh, whichever is easiast. And our email is spookysouppodcast801 at gmail.com. So getting into my stories, I have, let's see, one, two, 
three stories today from Reddit. Awesome. Let's do it. This first one was posted by Reddit user TransFrenchFry, and it is titled, Someone Was Getting Into Me and My Mother's Apartment. My mother and I, 10-year-old male at the time, had just gotten home from school and work. And my mom went into the kitchen to make dinner and saw some paper towels with a strange blue liquid on them. She called me into the kitchen and asked me about it, and I didn't know what it was either. So we just assumed something stupid had happened and threw them away. A few days later, we come home and the door was unlocked, and so was the sliding glass door. Our cat was missing as well, so we called management and they told us that no one had come into our apartment to do maintenance. So that meant that someone unwanted had been getting into our house. A few weeks went by and nothing else weird happened. Then one night while I was reading, I heard breathing under my bed. I silently grabbed my phone and left the room, got a knife from the kitchen, and sat on the couch all night watching the door so that if anyone came out, I could see them before they saw me. I stayed in that spot all night because the apartment I lived in at the time had super thin walls and from my room, you could hear my mother breathing. I didn't call the police until around 7 a.m. when my mother woke up for work. She had no idea what had happened when the cops arrived. While I frantically explained to the police what had happened, the window in my room opened and the cops and I caught the dude with a knife trying to sneak out. No. He got out the window and before the cops could really do anything, I pretty much threw myself out of the window at the man and caught his ankles. Yanked him back through the window. I was a big kid, like 5'8", where he broke his two front teeth on the ledge. The cops arrested the man and found a rope, lube, a ripped condom, and the previously mentioned knife. He had been planning to take me to the woods right outside my window, rape me, and kill me. Thank the heavens that I heard him that night. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Yeah. And I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess that was a true story. So ugh. Breaking creepy. Yeah, that's like my worst nightmare. Nightmare. So just waiting. Just waiting. We have a uh Tessa and I have a creepy story. Something similar happened to our other sister a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we could share that story on the podcast if she lets us, but it's a I can tell in about two or three minutes, but it's it's a good one. It's creepy. It's very scary. This next story is called, Are You Happy Now, Mommy? Posted by Reddit user Spooky Yuki Kitty Cat. Oh, I like their name. Me too. My mother used to cry herself to sleep on our old couch every night. I heard it from the bedroom upstairs and it always made me sad. I didn't understand her worry about bills, food, water, and keeping me safe. After all, I was just a kid. Yes, our house was a poorly constructed townhome that, just last week, had the roof of my bedroom fall in from a rainstorm. Yes, we barely had enough food for the two of us each day and would sometimes survive off lentil soup. Yes, there were countless debt collectors calling her day and night while my mother refused each call. But we had each other and I was happy. But why wasn't she? I love that I slept in her bed because of the roof, lentil soup, and her ringtone. I never had a problem with any of it, except for her crying. So I wanted to help. At the age of seven, I had enough of her being sad, and I wanted to see her smile for a change. 
I would be the adult today and make breakfast. I woke up super early and crept downstairs, being sure to keep quiet as mom slept soundly on the couch. In the kitchen, I made what I knew, eggs, orange juice, and oatmeal. We had just enough left for us with only enough juice for mommy. This food made me smile, so I was sure she would too. Proud of myself for watching her cook these for me on special occasions, I sprinkled more happy seasoning onto the oatmeal and put it on a plate with cold orange juice and a glass at the table. The eggs, though a little bit burnt, were scrambled in a pile beside it. The only way I knew. I made the same for me right next to her. She was going to love it. When I woke her up, to the surprise, she was happy. She smiled, really smiled, and sat down to eat. She thanked me repeatedly and told me how I was being such a good girl and that she really needed this. We ate breakfast happily, finishing each and every bite. When mother finished and we put our dishes in the sink, she noticed her empty pill bottle labeled antidepressant lying on the counter. What is this? What happened to mommy's pills? Oh, don't worry, mommy. I grinned. I know you take those to make you happy, and I wanted to make you extra happy today, so I mixed the rest with your breakfast. The rest? She stammered, and her eyes widened. Baby, there were 30 pills left. And now you'll be 30 times happier. I gleamed and went in for a hug. She pushed me away, though, and her knees shook. My mother wavered at the counter for a moment before falling to a lump on the ground. Her eyes were closed and her chest unmoving, but her lips formed a small smile. Are you happy now, Mommy? Uh, that one makes me sad and sick at the same time because she was just trying to do good by her mom. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was sad. Very sad. Hope that one's not a true story. <laughs> yeah, it better not be. Yeah. This next one is called Meat by Reddit user Gallardo. A butcher shop was opened by the new family that settled in our town. Dad, who recently broke his leg after falling from our roof, asked Mom to purchase meats there as he was unable to hunt due to a situation. My father had always resorted to providing food caught by his own hands as to help lessen our expenses. If he wasn't searching the woods, he'd be by the water, fishing, and Mom would add her magic touch by making the most scrumptious meal. I accompanied Mom to the butcher shop that had a very welcoming aura to it. The owner immediately talked about which cut would be best for which dish, and I listened as they traded words back and forth. My eyes soon darted to the meat display behind the cool crystal that I couldn't help but find to look different, especially the one tagged as pork. I tried not to question it, considering how little knowledge I had when it came to these things, but when dinner came and I took my first bite, my tongue could barely swallow. My stomach protested, but I kept on devouring as to not disrespect the blessing on our table. I drank more water than what I was used to, and it only helped a little bit. Conversations between my parents filled the atmosphere as I tried my hardest to finish the meat. I prayed that my disgust wouldn't show on my face, but when I caught my father's eye, it was too late. I excused myself to my room after washing the dishes, and a little while later, my father came knocking on the door. He sat on my bed, apologizing about the food. I tried my best to assure him that it was fine, but he was insistent with his apologies. I should have listened to your mom when she told me to hire someone to work on the roof. Well, you can be a little hard-headed, Dad. His calloused hands ruffled my hair as he said, 
I think I got that from you. He encouraged me to be honest about the meal, and I did, and told him that it didn't sit well with my stomach at all. A promise was made that he'd find a way to provide better, and I believed him. Before leaving, he made sure that my windows were locked and reminded me to also lock my door. He bid goodnight, and I knew then that he'd spend time in the living room with mom while sporting their teas. You should have hired someone for the roof. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't listen. Did you tell her to lock up? I did. I could fish in the river. I mean, I could learn. You'd catch a boot before you catch any fish. The chemicals have started to drive them away. Damn those companies. I'll be honest, I didn't like the meal too. I just need your patience while I will myself to heal faster. It's hard to hunt humans with this kind of injury. Ah, no. <laughs> no. Good twist. Oh, that was too good. That was good. Yeah, at first it's like, oh, just a happy family. Dinner time. Ah, oh, the kid's sick. Dad's there to comfort the kid. Twist. Twist. Twist ending. I love it. No wonder that the butcher shop meat looked different. Uh huh. Because it was animal and not mm-hmm. human. Yep. Nope. Don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nasty. So, uh, what do you have for us today? Ooh, oh, those Reddit stories were quite delicious. Mm-hmm. Get ready for a cold case in our childhood area. Yes. Like. Very close to where we grew up. Okay. So, imagine this. It's February in Utah. You've been stuck inside all day and it's cold, but you just really need a break. So you decide to take your dog outside for a breath of fresh air. And the road you're walking along is the frontage road that goes along the highway You still have that white noise of the cars, but you're also close enough to the mountains to enjoy the greenery. You walk towards a hill covered in shrub oak and spot something oddly shaped on the ground. As you get closer, the features become more distinguished and you realize it's a skull. Now, roadkill is pretty common on this road, so it could be a deer raccoon, but nope, it's human and it's sticking out of the ground. In February of 2015, A man and his dog were out for a walk when they found a human skull sitting at the base of a hill in Fruit Heights, Utah, just on the border of Farmington. This hill is directly across the highway bridge connecting Kaysville to Farmington, right across the bridge from Cherry Hill Amusement Park. This skull in question belonged to Teresa Rose Greaves, a woman missing for 32 years. So, 23-year-old Teresa started the day of August 5th 1983 full of hope for a new job opportunity she told her roommate that she was taking a bus to salt lake city for a job interview at the roadway inn and was excited because she'd been looking for work for a while Uh, she grew up in new jersey Uh, she moved to utah in 1980 to follow the osmonds because she was a huge fan of them and she wanted to get as close to them as she could so she's moving to utah Super excited because she's going to listen to the Osmonds, meet like-minded individuals, and is looking for work. When her roommate hadn't seen her for two days, Teresa was officially reported as missing to the Davis County Sheriff's Office. The same exact day she was reported missing, locals in the area reported that there was a man going door-to-door, 
claiming to be looking for work and that he was a contractor looking to help repair people's roofs. What he was actually doing was going house to house, knocking on doors, and if someone answered, he would just say he was looking for work, but if the house was empty, he would rob them. This man's name was Daniel Ranquist, and he had a thing for stealing jewelry and guns in particular. One of the witnesses explained to police that they had seen Ranquist walking around the trees and bushes on the hillside just below Kingston Road, which was the road of the house he had burglarized that day. The witness described the scene like Ranquist was searching for something hidden in the bushes. Now, I personally know this area because I drive past it all the time. It's a hillside with a neighborhood on top of it, and the hill is covered in shrub oak and bushes, and it's really hard to walk through. The bottom of the hill is overgrown and quite close to the frontage road that borders the highway right there. And side note, I can't help but wonder if Kingston Road is named after the Kingstons who own Kay's Cross over across the bridge in Kaysville. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I wonder if there's some sort of connection there. Sure. So a week later after that first burglary, Ranquist committed another one about a mile away from the first house. And witnesses for this one told police that he didn't act alone and he was seen with another man entering the house. Ranquist was arrested and convicted of third-degree felony charges for his first burglary, but took a plea deal for the second one in exchange for names. He snitched on his roommate at the halfway house in Salt Lake City that he was staying at, and his name was Gilbert Hunt, and he was one of the members of an elaborate theft ring organized by members of the halfway house. Ah. This arrest of Hunt led them to a confidential informant who told police that the theft ring was being organized by a man on the inside of the Utah State Prison. It's believed that the man, Ronnie Gardner, was helping fellow inmates who were soon to be sent to the same halfway house as Ranquist. Uh, He was helping them organize burglaries for when they got out. Ronnie actually ended up escaping prison, killing two people, including an attorney working on the case and a bartender in Salt Lake City. Yikes. And a family of the bartender that was murdered by Ronnie say that the robbery only resulted in $100 that he was able to take out of the cash, cash register. And he even had the nerve to show up at the bartender's funeral, pretending to be an old friend. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. But he had just straight up shot the dude in the face. Wow. So upon recapture, he was sentenced to death and killed by firing squad in 2010. The same confidential informant that I mentioned earlier told police that Ronnie was working with a guy on the outside, someone that they lovingly deemed as old man. Cops received a phone number for the old man, which led them to a contractor located in Murray, Utah. Now, how does this all connect back to Ranquist and Teresa? So the subdivision Ranquist burglarized was still being developed at the time of the robbery, and many contractors from all over Utah were part of the process. He was driving around looking for work, and he saw that construction was being done, so he decided to pull over and ask for a job, see if they needed any more help. And with that bit of information, it's safe to assume that whoever this old man character was, was a contractor working at the site who was like, oh yeah, I know some work you can get into, and led him to this ring, or somehow got him involved in this. 
So pawning stolen guns and jewelry was Ranquist's main mode of operating. Police were able to track down most of the pawn goods after his confession, and they were from shops all over Salt Lake City. Now, going back to Teresa, when she went missing, all of her things were accounted for back in her room except for the clothes and the graduating class ring she was wearing the day she disappeared. When her skull was discovered by the man in 2015, detectives combed the area and found more of her skeletal remains buried in a shallow grave. The sidewalk that the man was walking on is very busy. It's a popular jogging area, cycling area. So why had no one seen the skull for 32 years if he was able to see it so easily? It's believed that erosion and construction of new homes on Kingston Road caused the hill to somehow, you know, erode or maybe vibrate in a way that caused the skull to separate from the remains and roll down the hill, bringing it into view, or that an animal had sniffed it out and dug it up. In the shallow grave, her bones were found along with all of the clothing items matching her description on the day she went missing, except for her class ring. That's still missing. The ring has a large blue gemstone, and the sides of it read Collingwood High School 77, and her initials are engraved on it, T-R-G. And here's a picture of a ring from that same graduating year from a classmate. It's yellow, mm-hmm. but hers had a blue stone. Okay. To this day, the ring is still missing, and the police believe it is the key to solving this murder. I looked it up, and Collingswood High School is in New Jersey. So the fact that it says this New Jersey high school name has a giant blue stone and very specific TRG initials engraved on it It makes the ring stand out. It probably wouldn't be one that you'd miss easily. Whoever has it knows what happened to Teresa, but it hasn't turned up at pawn shops, and no one has ever come forward with it in the 32 years. With Ranquist having a very acquired taste for stolen jewelry, uh, who also happened to burglarize a house on the street above the hillside where her remains were found, who was also seen searching through the same shrub oak two days after her disappearance, is easy to connect the dots. Although we're not sure how he murdered her or why he murdered her, or even if he did murder her, because they had no connection. Right. Was it a robbery gone wrong? Did he see her walking down the street and decide to take her jewelry, but then things got out of hand? Was she a witness to him burglarizing another house? And he just decided, well, got to get rid of the witness. Or maybe did he just kill her and then the ring was the only piece of jewelry that he actually kept instead of pawned because he knew it would lead them back to Teresa. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, we might never find out. The ring's still missing. There was no soft tissue left due to 32 years of decomposition that would give investigators any information that they need to figure out how she was murdered. And on top of that, Ranquist is dead. So... That's a dead end. We can't ask him. Uh, Do you know when he died? I couldn't find anything about when he died, but I know it was before 2017. Okay. So, my best friend, Spikes, you know who you are, (laughs) was actually driving that same frontage road the day that the skull was found, but she had no idea that's what was going on. Oh, okay. And she said that she was stopped and there was just police cars everywhere it was all taped off 
there were people with like cadaver dogs trying to make their ways up the hill, but it's so covered in these trees and these bushes. It's like really difficult to navigate. But yeah, they totally treated it like a crime scene. Definitely. Yeah. Good for them. Like you'd have to. Yeah. And on the note of Ranquist, we're not entirely sure if he killed her. I couldn't find anything about when he died. However, I did find an obituary of someone who I believe would be his mother. Because they share the same last name. And Daniel O. Ranquist is listed as one of the children. However, he's not listed as a surviving family member. Oh. And she died in 2017, so it's assumed that he died before Mm -hmm. then. Okay. So... Yeah, listeners, that's just our short, true crime story of the day. That's a good one. I've never heard that. It's going to make me think for a good minute. Yeah, do you know where Cherry Hill is? Absolutely. And there's that bridge that connects uh-huh. Farmington. Yeah, I know exactly it's where you're talking right about. It's that hill right there. Yep. Yeah. That is roughly three, four minutes from our childhood home. Yeah, it's very close. Yep, very, very close. I drive past it every day. So, and I have images of the skull. Ooh, let me see. Oh, yeah. What the heck? It's, yeah, that definitely stands out. Right? It doesn't look like it was just buried there. Like, Mm -hmm. it definitely rolled down or an animal put it there. Mm -hmm. If you ever happen upon a Collingswood high school class graduation ring of 1977, please report it. Report it. Don't pawn it. It is the key to this case. We're convinced. Spooky stuff. This one's still a cold case. Mm -hmm. Happened just close to our house. Good story. Thank you. This is Utah. Only good stuff happens in Utah. Nothing bad happens in Utah. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. We'll scare you in the next one. Stay spooky. Bye. Bye. See ya.